welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Just a heads up before we begin, next week there will be no new episode. I'll be moving the show over to a new host site on Thursday, and I'm going to take the time to make sure everything transfers over correctly and familiarize myself with the new territory before I start uploading. On to tonight's stories. First up is by Jay Adair, who you will remember as the author of Wicked Walter. Jay is back with a Halloween-themed story, and uh, I cannot wait for Halloween time. So here it is. This is Sinister Echoes. The skeleton extends its hand speaking in a low tone. Thank you, young lady. This was a fascinating experience. I give a polite smile to the eyes underneath the mask, still a bit annoyed that the guy wouldn't remove the costume for his reading. It may be Halloween night, but a little respect would have been nice. Then again, people in this town are secretive, I'm almost positive that it's the mayor's beady gray eyes underneath that cheap plastic skull. From the moment he entered my dimly lit, incense-scented basement, he made sure to announce several times that he had never visited a fortune teller before. Well, he still hadn't, because I'm no charlatan fortune teller. I am an energy medium. It says so right on my business cards. My door entry alert, a pleasant three-chord classical guitar strum, tells me that my next customer has arrived. I step out from behind the rusted card table to greet them. A most unpleasant sight greets me instead. As the skeleton meanders up the stairs, an imposing figure in a grim reaper costume bounces down them. Hood down, I can see the goofy grin and over-gelled dark brown hair. Randy, what the hell? I bark at my cousin. Randy rips open two packages of Smarties and throws back his head, dumping them down his throat. You went to college, right? And you seriously think that please take one sign is going to work? Some of us have actual jobs, and we can't sit for hours handing out candy. Randy flings his head this way and that looking around the small basement and nodding to himself with exaggerated astonishment as he regards the wood paneling and yellow shag carpet. This is an actual job, huh? Interesting, he mocks. Well, we can't all be lucky enough to get that prestigious sanitation job at the recycling plant, can we? It's temporary, he sneers with plenty of venom. I cross my arms and try to look firm. Look, you know this is my busiest night of the year. My next customer will be here any minute. Kara, or should I say, Madam Kara, I am your next customer. Stomping back to my table like a petulant child, I locate the 7.15 p.m. time on my list. This says that my next customer is someone named Jack Torrance. Randy raises an eyebrow. You know, for a girl who does so much business on Halloween, you really should beef up your horror movie knowledge. I ignore the comment. What do you want? A reading. 
I open my mouth to protest, but Randy silences me by placing $40 in my hand. He slides into the chair at my table. Tell my fortune, or whatever it is you do, he says. My jaw tightens. I try to bring some legitimacy to my practice, though many would argue that it is no more valid than any fortune teller, precog, telepath, or psychic. We all claim to have different powers, but we all have one thing in common. We're all frauds in our own way. I like to think that there are two main categories in my line of work. The true believers are so wrapped up in their own lunacy that false readings are usually justified by crossed signals. Often, they can apply the reading to more than one person, therefore leaving the trusting customer and themselves with countless opportunities for validation of their abilities. The bullshit artists ply their trade by making vague and often undefinable predictions to maintain the illusion of their gifts. The only specific predictions they'll ever make are those they can verify through a quick internet search or social media page visit. They feast on the vulnerable. Yours truly, however, does not fall into either of these categories. I like to refer to myself and others like me as hesitant healers. We try to give customers an interesting and honest experience, but in many ways we are unsure of our own abilities. I drop down into my seat on the opposite side of the table. The fortune teller thing always made me boil. I don't need a fortune teller to predict your future, Randy. Forty years at the recycling plant and a lonely funeral. If you want, I'll take my money and leave. Are you trying to make a mockery of what I do? It's Halloween. Don't you have a party to go to? I have plenty of parties to go to, he snaps. I just wanted to come here first. Strangely, he genuinely seems interested. He paid, so I guess I owe him something. We were separated by just a year but we had never been close, even as children. Randy was always a bully, and now, in my mid-twenties, I finally felt the confidence to bark back at him. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I retract my claws. All right, we'll do it. I relent. I reach back and dim the lights. Cool. I know it's your big night, Kara. Then again, (laughs) every night is Halloween for you. He snickers. My jet black hair had been streaked with premature gray since I was a teenager. Randy called me the Bride of Frankenstein. Now that reference, I understand. I turn angrily to flick the lights back up. No, 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 no. I... Sorry. I'll stop. Randy says, holding his palms out to me. Against my better judgment, I leave the lights down and start the ritual. Expertly striking a match, I quickly light the four candles sitting between us and gently waft the smoke towards Randy. (sighs) I don't make the predictions. I speak robotically. It's a script that is entrenched in my brain. I can't amaze you by describing events in your past or tell you what a loved one is trying to communicate from beyond the grave. What I can do is tell you about the energy that influences your thoughts and feelings, that which you yourself cannot explain. I look up at Randy. 
His face is illuminated from underneath by the candles. His eyes are closed. He is smiling that fang-toothed smile. Dracula would have been a more suitable costume. The smile irritates me, but he says nothing. So I continue. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, but only transferred. Many people believe that our bodies contain a soul, and that soul is made up of energy. Through my studies, I have come to discover that when we die, that soul energy remains and eventually inhabits another child. With that energy comes memories, though they are often scrambled in the transfer process. We haven't discovered how to consciously access them, so they come to us arbitrarily. These echoes can come to us in a dream or when we experience deja vu. Surprisingly, Randy doesn't comment about any strange sex dreams he couldn't explain. His smile has faded. It is no coincidence that Halloween is the time of year when people come calling the most. I continue. At this time of the year, the earth is aligned such that we are able to access our previous history more clearly than at any other time of the year. In special cases, it's even possible for me to pull this energy forward in you to the point where you may start to take on traits of some of your energy field's previous owners. He nods almost imperceptibly. He really seems to be into this. Hold out your hand, I instruct. He obeys, and I place my hand in his. Randy, open your mind and I will tell you the history of your soul. I close my eyes and let the visions overtake me. They always did. The soul energy explanation came after years of reflections about these visions, though their authenticity was still in question. Was it just my overactive imagination allowing me to create wild stories to entertain my customers? Sometimes the visions were so vivid that I would actually recognize local landmarks or even younger versions of people who lived or had once lived in the town. It made me think there was something more to this. It was freaky. Randy's soul vision slammed into my mind's eye like a slap to the forehead. I see a big, burly man, similar in stature to Randy, He is struggling to walk, huffing and puffing as he hobbles through a dark forest. He seems to be in trouble. I narrow my focus on the man, and the vision starts to broaden and materialize. I see that the man only appears to be limping, because he is dragging something behind him. No, not something. Someone. His dirty hands are gripping long, brown hair. The unpleasant and desperate screams of the young girl are so loud that I wince and move to cover my ears before I remember it's just in my head. The man turns his long, cold face to her. His upper lip curls, and he speaks in a deep, southern drawl. Y'all should have known better than to mess with my property. Now you're gonna pay for what you've done. I'm afraid to say anything to Randy. I had never experienced a violent scene like this before. 
that voice? Why did it sound so familiar? It comes to me. I had watched a documentary a few weeks earlier on a man, a, a southerner, named James Verduke, who owned a farm on the outskirts of town. He was charged with multiple murders and claimed that his motive was payback. Allegedly, all of his victims had wronged him in some way that he felt was punishable by death. One victim of his, a young brunette high school student, was cruising around with friends on a Friday night. They had pulled over because she had to pee and it couldn't wait. The location was unfortunate. Verduke had tracked her down and later told the police that the girl shouldn't have used my damn field as a toilet. Am I witnessing this young girl's untimely end? I began to tremble. The timeline makes sense. Verduke would have died shortly before Randy was born. The guitar strum door chime breaks my concentration. The next customer has arrived. How long has it been? Have I even said anything to Randy yet? My brain is foggy. I open my eyes and a squeal escapes my lips. Randy is standing right beside me, towering over me. His hands are clenched into fists and his arms are shaking. His eyes are directed at me, but they seem to be looking a thousand miles beyond. Randy! I shout, but he doesn't budge. His breathing quickens. His muscles flex. His face is a blank slate. Randy! I scream, louder this time as I push myself away from the table. A voice breaks his trance. Oh, sorry. I thought I could just come down. I could almost hug the scrawny man in the Batman costume who ignored the please wait until cult sign. Randy looks at me, confused, rubbing his furrowed brow. I've gotta go, he mumbles and storms away, almost knocking over Batman on his way up the stairs. Batman turns to me, a concerned look in his eye. I try to give a courteous smile and... After a lengthy pause, spit out with a phony chuckle. <laughs> he must not have liked his fortune. A loud knocking at the door awakens me. I shake off the cobwebs of slumber and realize that I have fallen asleep in the recliner in front of the television again. I glance at the clock. 1.22 a.m. A little late for trick-or-treating. The knocking comes again. This time, louder, like someone is pounding with a fist. What the hell? I say to myself as I shuffle to the door. I look through the peephole. Randy? I fling the door open. Randy, what the... What did you do to me? He barges into the house and marches straight to the sink. I hear the tap turn on as I follow him. What, what do you mean? I didn't do anything. I protest. I come around to face him, and then I see it. The blood. The sink is already covered in it as he scrubs his hands furiously. Dark. Vile smelling. What? 
the hell happened? I stammer. He looks past me at the television, still blaring loud. You've got the news on? See for yourself. I turn and try to focus my attention on the television. The old children's Halloween special I was watching has changed to an emergency broadcast. A female news reporter speaks with a somber tone. As many as seven are dead as a result of a deadly rampage by a young man at a Halloween party here just a few miles outside of town. Police say the man showed up uninvited, wielding a knife, and started attacking partygoers seemingly at random. He left before police arrived. We'll keep you updated as soon as more information. Did you do this? Stay safe out there, everyone. Why? I turn to face Randy. And I am greeted by a strong hand grasping my throat, squeezing slowly. He speaks. But the voice is different, not Randy's. Deeper, and with a familiar accent. They shoulda invited me to the party, but since they didn't, they had to pay for what they'd done. Next up this evening, we have a post-apocalyptic thriller by Ruderdoot. Enjoy the artist. Dirty, filthy, must clean, must cleanse, must create, create beauty. Too much ugly in the world, must make it beautiful. People pass by my home. A townhouse near the city center. The traders never stop by, always make me go to them at the market. They don't appreciate my art. Few appreciate my art. That's a lie. The closest my art has to admirers are the hideous creatures created by the nucleus. After all, there seem to be no shortage in them living amongst the ruins of the city. Even then, they just take small nibbles at my art before moving on. The local militia would tell me my art is disturbing, disgusting, and I should quit and skip town, usually threatening me with violence. That didn't end well the last time. Six months ago, when one of them tried to burn my latest piece, a painting depicting the burning of a witch on a pyre oil on leather canvas. I showed him the error of his ways by cutting his arm from wrist to elbow. Now he has a prosthetic arm after the wound contracted gangrene and resulted in amputation. Dirty, filthy bastards. But the ones who really don't appreciate my masterpieces are the local raider gangs. But they only care about money, food, and resources. So my brilliance is lost on them, and their dirty, filthy brain must cleanse. I believe that even in this post-nuclear war world, art is needed to help the mind. It certainly helps ease my mind. 
I often lose myself in the evenings, eating a meal of tinned beans while staring at my favorite painting, titled The Error of Man. Features a mushroom cloud, similar, I suppose, to the ones that brought upon the current age of survival and struggle. Upon closer inspection, one may notice a shape of a skull in the cloud itself. This symbolizes the atomic annihilation brought by man's most destructive invention. All this is represented on one of my signature stretched leather canvases, this one roughly three feet wide and four feet tall. This was a tough one to procure. Beautiful and glorious. I suppose you want to know where I procured my materials for such an ambitious project. The fact of the matter is, the materials come to me. Mostly. You see, I can procure most of the paints I need from the various ruined art supply stores and old hardware stores, as well as asking the market traders to look out for them on their travels. But there's one color I need the most of, and sorely lack crimson. Red! Color of our rage! Our anger! Fortunately... There's no shortage of red in the city. I just have to make it into paint. Roughly once a month, a small raider party will pluck up the courage to step inside my abode after their buddies go missing. Filthy, dirty, wrong. But upon entering my home, the first will be met with a tripwire just beyond the door, attached to a double-barrel shotgun. Which usually takes his head clean off. Hey, and the film is gone. The next two will step over him and rush up the stairs in anger, thinking somebody shot their buddy, not noticing a tin can fall from a large crack in the ceiling attached to another tripwire. This is a small improvised explosive. Usually a makeshift shrapnel grenade, not powerful enough to damage my house, but powerful enough with plenty of sharp metal pieces that they are mortally wounded and unable to flee. Slice, dice, Dice. cleanse, and beautify. The next one would run into the living room, where he'd step on a pressure-sensitive floor panel and fall down, down, down into a pitfall trap set up in the old laundry room in the basement level. Live like pigs. Die like pigs. Then finally, as the final raider scum turns to flee, I'm standing in the doorway with my favorite knife, a lack-bladed combat knife. And before he can react, I've already slit his throat and begun to drag him inside to the basement via the stairs. Beautiful too. Raiders usually hunt in groups of five and are very predictable. That's how I've managed to booby trap my house in the most efficient way. Not a single one goes to waste. Bones are used to make new brush handles, and what little hair they have left on their radiation burned balding heads makes good brush bristles. I always collect as much of the blood as possible. 
adding a heavy-duty adhesive to it to create my beautiful red paint, only mixing as and when needed due to it hardening after a couple of hours. You've probably realized by now where the leather for my canvases come from. Surgical cuts look nice on display. The people of the city fear me. They really don't have to fear me. I only make art for those undeserving of living. Those who squander their lives hurting others. I'm doing them all a favor. I turn their ugliness into beauty everlasting. But still, my art goes unappreciated. Dirty and filthy. Maybe you immortal. Last up for tonight, I have for you a story by Scotty Milder, whose website and Facebook page will be available in the show notes because I know after you hear this story, you're going to want more of Scotty's work. This is Mousetrap. Andre had mice. It was an old house. Well, not old, exactly, but older than he was. And at first, he tried to tell himself that the little clinking noises in the walls and the scratching beneath the furnace cubby were just the pipes or something. What the hell did he know? But, a week after moving in, He was cleaning the counter behind the Keurig and saw a little pile of black pellets. Shit. When his sister had come with him to look at the place, she wrinkled her nose and pronounced it a dump. He mounted a half-hearted defense, pointing out the sprawling backyard, choked with weeds, and the high ceilings, dusted with cobwebs. The place had potential, he said. Her only reply was a bark of laughter. She was right. The place sucked. Thing was, that endlessly practical little defeatist in the back of his mind told him, beggars can't exactly be choosers. Andre gazed down at that little pile of turds and wondered if he should call the rental company. But when his previous landlord had upped the lease and he found himself scrambling... Everyone in earshot had warned him off Twin Sun's property solutions. His boss, next thing there is in town to a slumlord. His best friend, aren't they supposed to be a front for meth cookers? His sister, oh no, stay away from them, those people are fucked. But the practical defeatist dickwad insisted, and yet that whole of beggars and choosers remains. He thought he should still try to reach out to them, though. See if they'd send out a pest control crew to take care of it. Hell, maybe he'd even hear back from them in a year or two. Or he could just bite the bullet, go down to the hardware store, and buy some traps. The old lady across the street was out in her yard again, digging around in her pathetic little garden. Things that were either tomatoes or mutant alien egg sacks hung off the scraggly bush. Andre hit the key fob, 
The old lady looked up at the beep. He waved. She scowled. Nice fucking neighborhood. Andre's eyes sprang open. At first he didn't know where he was. The dim light was all wrong. It was coming from the side, which should have been a blank wall instead of through the window over by the... Oh, right. He sat up, looked blearily around his new bedroom. It was half the size of the old one, oddly and inconveniently L-shaped. No attached bathroom. A doorless closet, no bigger than a pantry. Barely enough room in there for his queen. Puke-colored light from a street lamp trickled through a cracked, schmutz-stained window. The pane was small and set high in the wall, like a window in a jail cell. Thank God for month-to-month leases. Meanwhile, here was something squealing in the kitchen. Gotcha, he muttered, rubbing the gum out of his eyes and swung his legs out of bed. Not sure what would work best, Andre had gone a little nuts at the hardware store. Two packs of glue traps, three no-kill traps, some standard snap traps, and a fancy electronic thingamajig that he suspected was wildly overpriced, but which had enticed him with the hardcore language on the box. 100% kill rate, no touch, no C-corpse disposal, use pliers to open the kill chamber. If he was starting a death metal band, he was pretty sure he'd call it Open the Kill Chamber. He'd spread them throughout the house, putting the glue traps in the front entryway, the electronic thing and no-kill traps under the sink, and two of the snap traps on the kitchen counter, making sure to place one at the scene of the crime, right next to the Keurig. Something had to do the job. As it turned out, it was the one by the Keurig. The mouse wasn't dead. He could still hear it thumping across the counter, little legs scrambling for purchase. Great. He was going to have to find something to smash it and put it out of its misery. Yawning, he hit the kitchen light and turned. The yawn died in his throat. His eyes couldn't quite resolve what exactly he was seeing. The thing in the trap was the size of a mouse. But mice, as far as he knew, had fur. This thing had the slick, hard skin of a toad. But he didn't think toads had claws or spiked tails. And he was pretty sure both mice and toads only had four legs. He stared, mouth agape, as the thing squealed and tried to wriggle loose. Its sides pumped in and out like a fluttering heartbeat. The many legs pinwheeled, and he saw that the claws weren't claws at all, but little barbed suckers. They opened and closed like tiny lipless mouths. Then the side facing him tore open like a membrane, and he was gazing down into a single, almost human eye. The pupil dilated. Nope, Andre said, and turned the light off. He crossed the entryway and headed for the bedroom. He heard the trap clatter to the floor behind him. As he shuffled down the hallway, past the furnace cubby, 
he heard scratching. Andre woke to sunlight. Scattered memories of the dream followed him out of the soup of sleep. The little suckers. That eye. He shuddered. Minutes later, he was standing in the lukewarm shower, still trying to convince himself it was just a dream. It had to have been a dream. He brushed his teeth and dressed quickly, glancing over the clock on his dresser. 7.46. He had just enough time for a quick cup of coffee before he had to head off for work. The snap trap lay empty on the kitchen floor. The peanut butter was gone, and whatever had set it off had escaped. He flashed back on that eye, that dilating pupil. Nope, he said again, and went to pick up the trap. There was something sticky underneath. When Andre got home from work, he checked the traps. The glue traps were empty, the electronic trap was flashing its green light, and the snap trap still sat snarling at the ready but something had set off one of the no-kill traps. He picked it up and flipped up the little lid, half expecting to see the eye peering out at him from inside the plastic tube. It was empty. He reset it and threw a hungry man dinner in the microwave. An hour later, he was lying on his couch, watching a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, season three, the best season, He was right in the middle of Tyrion and Sansa's wedding when something thumped in the hallway. He grabbed the Roku remote and hit the pause button. Listened. Another low thud, followed by furious scratching. He went into the kitchen and grabbed a flashlight and a screwdriver. On his way to the hallway, he picked up one of the snap traps from the counter. He yelped as the catch released and the bar whammed down on his thumb. There was a big metal vent cover beneath the furnace cubby, dented and covered in a fuzz of gray dust. He got down on his hands and knees and tried to shine the light through the slats. He couldn't see anything in there beyond a sort of staring, pregnant darkness. He set the flashlight aside and began unscrewing the vent. Another thump, more scratching, and damned if he couldn't hear them squeaking in there. I'm coming for you, you little shits. He set the cover aside, coughing at the sudden exhalation of dust. A blast of sweet, foul air shoved into his nostrils, making him gag. The hole was a toothless, rectangular mouth. He picked up the flashlight and looked again. The space was maybe a foot and a half high, five or six feet square. The floor he was surprised to see was dirt. Well, mud, actually. It glistened wetly. The surface pitted like a sponge. There must be a leak in one of the pipes. And that would explain the swollen, almost fleshy look of the wood and drywall enclosing the chamber. Strands of mossy black filaments hung off the beams, drooping like infernal party streamers. Mold. Too late to go grab a dust mask. He'd just put the trap in there, screw the cover back into place, and call twin sons in the morning. If they gave him the runaround, he'd threaten to report them to the city. Black mold was no joke. He moved to set the flashlight aside, and 
Something moved. He swiveled the beam back. The thing crouched in the corner, bulbous and tumescent, quivering like jelly. Nearly translucent skin refracted the light like a prism. The fuck? Andre leaned in, squinting. A rope of the black stuff unfurled and speared out. It snapped around his wrist and tightened. Andre screamed. The flashlight tumbled to the mud with a squelch. The thing yanked, driving Andre face first into the cubby door. His nose shattered with a dry wood crack. Hot blood spurted from it. Entire galaxies exploded in his corneas. The ropey thing yanked again, nearly wrenching his arm out of its socket. Andre fell to his stomach. It pulled a third time, and now his head and right shoulder were inside the hole. Another something snaked out of the mud and wrapped around the flashlight. Little black suckers probed at the lens, throwing squiggly, undulating shadows across the rotten drywall. The quivering thing in the corner emitted a little squealing sigh. The flesh blistered open, and Andre found himself gazing into another eye. He planted his free hand on the cubby door and tried to push back with all of his strength. The black rope gave a little, then tightened and jerked again. The pupil dilated. Iris opened. A bony proboscis emerged through a ring of dagger teeth. No! Andre shouted. The proboscis seemed to hear him. It sniffed the air. The dripping, star-shaped tip flaring like a nostril. It swiveled and jabbed forward. Mrs. O'Meara knelt in the dirt with a pruning shear and cut the mottled green fruit from the bush. It plopped into her hand, giving off a whiff of something acrid. She wrinkled her nose. She had tried to grow tomatoes once, back in the 80s. They didn't take. Nothing took here except for these, whatever they were. The soil around here was just no good. In fact, she wasn't entirely sure it was soil at all. She dropped the fruit into her little basket and stood with a groan. Her back twanged. She'd be going to the doctor for another one of those steroid shots soon. Across the street, the new kid was standing in his driveway, shirtless and staring up at the sun. Hello there, she called. He looked down at her dreamily. Hi, he shouted, too loud. She set the basket on her stoop and waddled out into the street. Nice day, the kid yelled. Suppose it is, Mrs. O'Meara grunted and studied him. His mouth unhinged in a slack open mouth grin. She saw something flitting around the back of his throat could have been a tail. You liking the place all right? It's wonderful. He practically screamed. A runnel of blood overspilled his eyelid, tracing down his cheek like a tear. What was your name again? Andre. He shrieked. Andre Fleming. Just moved in last week. Andre. Mrs. O'Meara said, tasting the name like wine. Well, you best get on inside and 
Put a shirt on. Don't want the folks around here calling the cops. Bunch of busybodies with nothing better to do. Okay, he wailed and turned stiffly back into the house. She watched him lurch like a toy soldier toward the open garage, then crossed back to her own house and picked up her basket. Didn't take long this time. Usually it was a couple weeks at least. The old girl must have been awful hungry. Mrs. O'Meara opened the door and went inside. Something scurried, chittering into the shadows. Scat! She yelled. It bleated wordlessly back at her. He'd be right as rain in a day or two, or at least he'd seem to be. Then, in six months or a year, he'd snap. Kill his boss, maybe? Or plow his car into a sidewalk full of pedestrians? All his family would be on the TV and in the newspapers, talking about how they never saw it coming, but by then he'd be long gone and there'd be someone else living over there. Such was the way of things. Folks at Twin Sons made sure of it. Mrs. O'Meara shuffled into the hallway. The basket looped over her arm. The house was an exact mirror of the ones across the street. She tottered down to her knees and peered into the hole beneath the furnace. All right, baby. Din din. A happy, expectant squeak. She tossed the fruit into the darkness. From inside, the sound of many mouths chewing. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I know I did. I had a lot of fun producing these. Um, So, like I said, for Patreon, um, since there were no ads this week, there will not be an ad on Patreon for my $5 and $10 patrons. It's only going to be when there's an ad or a promo. I will put the ad or promo free version on patreon for my five and ten dollar patrons just a heads up if you're like where is it it's because this week does not have an ad and i'll let you know on patreon too just in case um but anyway speaking of patreon let me give a big big warm welcome to micaiah scott natalie emma and liz laguerre thank you so much for supporting the show thank you so much for being here uh sending you just a big big warm hug over the airwaves just so much support thank you so 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 much um all right i think that's it for tonight um remember to follow the show on twitter tumblr reddit instagram and facebook uh yeah and uh i'm in the facebook page so if you ever want to drop by and i'm on twitter a lot so if you want to say hi there or anything the facebook page is a lot of fun everybody interacts a lot with each other and puts spooky stuff in the group and it's a lot of fun um I'd say that's probably the most active of all of my communities. Um, you can send your stories, um, fact or fiction, to scarytosleep at gmail.com. I've been asked lately about true stories. I haven't done a true story episode in a while. And like I've, I've said before, I just kind of leave them in my little true stories category on in my email folder until I get enough for an episode and I just don't have enough for an episode yet. Let's check this live. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have about seven stories. Um, I need, honestly, I probably would need about double that to do a full episode unless I do kind of a little mini, 
mini-sode, which maybe I'll do. We'll see. But So try to send in your true stories. If you have someone you know who has a cool true story, send it on over. Um, and again, you can send all of your fictional stories to that account as well. All right. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform, or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 